Welcome to episode 22, The Truth About Jesus Christ. Before we get started, please do me a favor and share the show with your friends. If you are having a discussion about healthcare reform, gun control, the recent elections, birthright citizenship, Thanksgiving, or Jesus Christ, please share the episode. Also, if you are listening on the Apple Podcast app, please take a second and scroll down on the podcast page and give me a five-star rating. It helps with visibility inside of iTunes. Also, please consider supporting the show financially. All donations will be used to expand the reach of the show. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play Music. It is also available on Stitcher, Spotify, or Podbean. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Well, this is the fourth episode focusing on a Christian apologetic topic. In episode number five, we talked about the truth about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In episode 10, we covered the truth about God and evil. And in episode 15, we talked about the truth about prayer. Now, as I discussed in episode number five regarding the resurrection, the day after Jesus died, things did not look good for the movement that he apparently had started. His apostles scattered. They were afraid they were next. Oh well, it was a good run. Three years of miracles, wisdom, obscure parables, and conflicts with the ruling class, but now it was over. Clearly, he was not who he said he was, the Messiah. However, fast forward to three days later and bam, everything changed, literally. The world changed forever. Now you can dispute the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's fine. However, I would strongly encourage you to listen to episode 5. See what you think after listening. But regardless, it is undeniable that this has impacted the world in a manner never seen before and likely never seen again. What I want to talk to you about today is the remarkable and dare I say miraculous story of a carpenter named Jesus from a map dot in the middle of the Middle East who lived over 2,000 years ago and the truth about the impact he left on the world. I've heard Jesus Christ call a lot of things, not all of them flattering, but the most accurate word I have heard used to describe him is radical. Let me know if you agree after listening to this episode. Let's start with how he treated people. But let's not focus on his treatment of the well-to-do, the so-called middle class of his day, but his treatment of the downtrodden, the discounted, and the inferior in life. Women, children, sinners, lepers, the handicapped, the sick, tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers, Samaritans, widows, orphans, criminals, and slaves. In a word, it was radical. Let's start with women and children. These two contested for the most downtrodden in the ancient world. He saw everyone as made in God's image and therefore worthy of dignity. That was very unusual. When it came to children, they were essentially disposable in the ancient world, but this guy Jesus taught us to love and cherish them. We learned in Matthew chapter 10 that they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That was radical. What was his legacy with children? Quite remarkable. After all, what was was life expectancy back in ancient times? 30 years? You can only imagine that there were lots of orphans. Who raised money and opened their homes, built orphanages to serve these abandoned children? Those crazy Jesus followers. 
Who came up with the idea of godparents? Ah, those crazy Jesus followers. What about Jesus' treatment of women? The first radical move was to the fact that Jesus had women in his entourage, some of whom with less than stellar backgrounds. That was unusual. In the ancient world, it was routine practice to allow newborn baby girls to die. Roman law only required that the firstborn daughter be raised, and of course, all healthy male children as well. You must remember that concubines were a thing in the day, back in the day, and of course prostitution. There was just as much sexual immorality going on then as there is now, but Jesus admonished it all. The God that Jesus talked about was higher than the state or the woman's husband. Women were no longer to be considered essentially slaves to their husband, specifically, and lower on the social totem pole to men generally. That was radical. Who stayed at the cross while Jesus died? Women. The men all ran away. Who were the first to witness the resurrection? Women. The New Testament's depiction of women was a radical departure from their treatment in society at the time. What about other members of the so-called dredge of ancient society? How about lepers? Instead of staying away from them, Jesus touched them and healed them. What about adulterers? He said, go and sin no more. How about Samaritans? This was a group of people with whom Jewish leaders at the time looked down upon because over time they had intermarried and were considered inferior. So much so that Jewish travelers would increase their travel time because they wanted to avoid going through Samaritan territory. Despite that, the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and someone else was with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. This woman's home life was a mess. Five husbands and currently living with one who she was not married to. That conversation was radical. There's also another story about Jesus healing ten lepers, and the only one to thank Jesus was the Samaritan. Showing Samaritans in a good light was radical. What about criminals? Jesus died on the cross next to two of them. One of them cursed him, the other asked for forgiveness, and Jesus told him he would see him in paradise. Again, why show a criminal in good light? What about tax collectors? Few people were more despised in Jerusalem than fellow Jews who served as tax collectors for Rome. Jesus befriended Matthew and invited himself to his house for dinner that night. Guess who attended? Other tax collectors and sinners. He taught us that the poor in spirit, mourners, and the meek are all worthy and not to be discounted. The list of deplorables that Jesus catered to goes on and on. The handicapped, the sick, widows, orphans, slaves, prostitutes, Gentiles. If Jesus lived today, where do you think you would find him hanging out? Given what we know about him, he likely would spend his time in homeless shelters, walking around poor inner city streets, or spending time with those infected with incurable and contagious diseases. Radical. Historian Paul Johnson wrote, Jesus' love of people as individuals was in some way his most striking characteristic. He never tired of talking to them and penetrating their secrets. They were drawn to him and only too willing to divulge to him. His life was a series of public meetings punctuated by casual encounters which turned into significant events. Jesus not only encouraged these encounters, but treasured them. These episodes, though often brief, form the human core of the New Testament and provide an unique satisfaction to the reader. There is nothing like them in the entire literature of the ancient world, sacred or secular. So what other radical insights did Jesus lay on us? He demonstrated traits such as humility that were disdained in his day, where pride and power were more highly prized. 
He taught us about forgiveness. In Jesus' time, conventional wisdom said, help your friends and punish your enemies. But Jesus was a radical. He preached a different message. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. He said, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus was a radical when it came to serving others. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. How many non-servants and slaves went around washing his friend's feet in those days? He taught that secular leaders do not have the final say in our lives. Jesus taught to give to Caesar what was Caesar's and give to God what is God's. In other words, Caesar is beneath God on the power totem pole. You see this concept most famously incorporated into the political world in the Magna Carta, and of course the Christian's philosophy's fingerprints are all over the United States founding documents. What about sex? Living in a time when the elite men in society had mistresses, concubines, and wives, plural, this radical carpenter preached another way. Sex was for married couples. The Greek culture's sexual allowances would appall even the most tolerant among us today, with adult men and younger boys, slave girls, etc. Jesus taught that sex had a spiritual component between two married people. He taught that children were to be protected. Tim Keller once said, The ancients were stingy with their money, but generous with their bodies. Christians, on the other hand, were stingy with their bodies, but generous with their money. That's radical. Jesus raised the bar further in the sex arena, suggesting that even looking at a woman with lust in your heart was the same as committing adultery. Radical. Jesus taught that those who show mercy are blessed, as are those with pure hearts, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted. That was crazy talk in his time. You may even argue that in today's world, such talk will get you a few strange looks. But Jesus didn't care. He was on a radical mission. What contribution have Jesus' followers made to the world over the 21 centuries since he was crucified? For starters, the Bible has been translated into over 2,500 languages. I didn't even know there were that many. Don Quixote is the second most translated book at 60 languages. What about hospitals and relief efforts emerged from his movement? The Red Cross was started by Jean Henry Dunant, a follower of Jesus, to care for wounded soldiers on the battlefield. Salvation Army was started by a Jesus follower named William Booth. The YMCA, Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, all started by followers of this unusual carpenter. Egalitarianism, the idea that everyone is equal in fundamental worth or social status, originated with this man named Jesus. Think about the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Where do you think this line of thinking came from? It certainly wasn't self-evident in the ancient world. What about slaves and bond servants? At one point it was estimated that one-third of the population of most major cities in Jesus' time were composed of slaves and bond servants. But his message of submission, obedience, and respect, communicated across the region by Paul, see Ephesians chapter 6, had a big influence on the death of these practices over time. Probably the most famous slavery abolitionist was William Wilberforce, a Jesus follower. He made it his life's work to outlaw slavery in England. He finally succeeded in 1833, a month after his death. 
The first universities were started by Jesus' followers. They were the outgrowth of monasteries. The word university reflects the idea that God created all things, one person, one God. After all, they are not called multiversities. Professors got that title because it was thought they had something to profess, something they believed to be true. Did you know that 90% of the first 140 colleges and universities founded in America were begun for followers of this radical carpenter, including Harvard, Yale, William & Mary, Princeton, and Brown? The study of language, the production of dictionaries, the teaching of grammar all started with missionaries as they struggled to communicate with people who spoke different languages. What about science? Followers of Jesus believe that a rational God created the earth, therefore studying his creation was a good thing. Pioneers of science like William of Ockham, Francis Bacon, Galileo, Pascal, Joseph Priestley, Pasteur, Newton, all expressed that their work stemmed from their desire to learn about God's thoughts. They wanted to make sense of the rational creation. How about technology? Many early technological advances were developed by monks who were motivated by their desire to be with God. Mechanical clocks were invented to tell them when to pray. Eyeglasses were invented so the monks could read their texts and scrolls. Think about the symbol of the cross. It is probably the most widely recognized symbol in the history of the world. Grave sites, jewelry, it sits atop churches. People make the sign of the cross. It isn't widely known because it was the source of execution widely used by Romans and others over the centuries but because of its use against one man. What about the fact that time is actually defined as before Christ, B.C., and after death, A.D.? A monk with a name I won't even try to pronounce to avoid ridicule proposed this new way of defining time or history some 600 years after Jesus. Granted, he was biased, but the fact that this, his methodology has stuck to this day says something. John Ortberg the author of Who Is This Man, a book I relied heavily on for this episode, had this to say. The fact remains, 2,000 years after the birth of this carpenter, that every time any human being anywhere on the planet opens a calendar, unfolds a newspaper, or boots up a computer, he or she is reminded that Jesus Christ has in fact become the hinge of human history. Still don't think what he accomplished in his short life was not radical? Consider placing a bet in 33 AD. As this lowly yet well-spoken carpenter-slash-rabbi from Nazareth hung on the cross, and you bet the guy standing next to you, I bet the Roman Empire outlives this, guy, this Jesus guy's legacy by thousands of years. Now granted, neither better would have lived to know who won the bet. But just for the intellectual exercise, consider the low odds of Jesus' legacy outlasting the most powerful empire the world had ever known by thousands of years. Historian Michael Grant summarized Jesus' life like this, quote, The most potent figure, not only in the history of religion, but in the world history as a whole, is Jesus Christ, the maker of one of the few revolutions which have lasted. Millions of men and women, likely billions, century after century have found his life and teaching overwhelmingly significant and moving. Think about the impact on the, on the world this man had. Without him, there is no Martin Luther, whose German Bible helped shape the German language. Without him, no King James Bible, which inspired and shaped Shakespeare's use of language. Without him, no Hallelujah Chorus, no category of music known as Gospel, no Sistine Chapel, no Da Vinci's Last Supper. Christianity's influence on architecture fills volumes of books. These contributions go on and on. 
So in the end, his story is one of humility, service, love, patience, empathy, and compassion. All the traits you hope your spouse or your kid's future spouses exhibit. He had no money. He was born in a barn. He never wrote a book, never held political office, never ruled a country, never commanded an army. He wielded no secular power. He was not the warrior or a hero that the Jews expected from their Messiah. He died humiliated and degraded. He was virtually naked. What kind of hero's story starts and ends like that? Yet he went around challenging the current power structure, namely the religious leaders, which ultimately led to his death sentence. His strategy was to allow them to ridicule him and his followers, kill some of them, throw others in jail, and the plan was not to fight back, just to love them and keep inviting them to join them. Wow, that's brilliant and radical. Taken on a whole, his remarkable story and his impact on the world has got to make even the most hard-hearted skeptics pause and wonder, is there something to this thing called Christianity? If that's you, I encourage you to find out. If you go to the show notes page for this episode, I list some resources that I think you will find helpful. That goes for those of you who already consider yourself Christians, too. Please join the conversation at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. 